This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Julia Detler Bates is European Marketing Communications Manager at Fellows. She is an international marketing expert with over 10 years of experience in SEM and traditional marketing communications. Having worked on both, both sides, agency and client side, she has a great knowledge of paid, earned and owned media activities across several different industries and countries with a high interest in UX and UI. Julia was also part of the tremendously successful team working on the Work Colleague of the Future campaign, which reached 66 countries and generated just a ton of awareness and credibility showing the effects of an unhealthy workspace. Julia Detler-Bates, welcome to ClientSide. Thank you, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. You've you've uh, got a fantastic and fascinating background. You're originally from Germany and you came to the UK about 10 years ago to study. You did a degree in marketing and Spanish and then a master's in marketing af- after that. It looks like you always had the intention of building a career in marketing from the beginning. Yeah, that's correct. Like I've always I've always been interested in marketing and especially in the combination marketing with languages. Um, so I was always keen to to get a position at some point where I'm going to be working with people from other countries so I can make use of all of my skills. Um, so, yeah, um, I've, I've really enjoyed my degrees and um, the, the internships I had during that time. Um, and I'm happy where I'm right now with my career. Hmm. In, in 2011, you started working for an SEO agency. They were called Search Laboratory. You were their first international full-time hire. Um, and I think at the time they were a small agency, they were a startup. Um, I think they'd been going for roughly about five years at that point. And you grew, you helped grow the team from sort of 20 to 120 people during your time there. That must have been just a really exciting thing to be a part of. Tell us what it was like growing in a company, working in a company that was growing that fast. Yeah, I absolutely loved my work at um, Search Laboratory, I have to say. It was my first job straight out of uni. Mm. Um, and it was such a nice transition from university to go into a small agency where you made lots of friends. Um, and it was just really an exciting time for the agency. We had a super strong team, mm. very smart people um, that made, made sure that we secured really big, interesting clients, uh, which then allowed us to grow. Um, and I think um, also the time when I started was a time when SEO really started to change, you know, so um, in that time you went kind of from link buying to link earning, uh, a different Google update. So your job would never really be the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when, when I started, they already had a few part-time international people around, Mm. but when I started, we kind of could really dedicate time to, um, to get these international clients on board. Mm-hmm. And that was super exciting, I have to say. Um, and then personally, you know, in, a, in an agency that's growing, there's so many opportunities. And I'm, I'm really thankful for all of the, the opportunities they gave me. Mm. You had the chance, if you were working hard, to progress quite quickly um, and to get new responsibilities. And I think that's the exciting part of being of um, being part of such a small mm. agency. And and we said at the top of the show that you've got both agency and client-side experience, but obviously this was your first agency uh, experience. W- what was your biggest takeaway 
from your time with the agency and how have you used that experience in your role subsequently? I would say my biggest takeaway is really being agile, mm. you know, especially when you're part of an agency, mm-hmm. everything's so fast moving um, and, and things keep on changing and you have to adapt to different clients, to their requirements. So I think being agile is definitely the biggest takeaway. Um, another one, which was also part of their values, was really transparency. And I, I really salute um, search laboratory to that. It's, mm. it's being transparent with your clients. Um, and that's something that I'm still looking for now when I'm working with agency now oh. in-house is transparency is key. You know, don't try um, and, and black your, your way through mm. it. So you, you're always honest. You tell them where you are with your results um, and you work as a team on this. That's that's fascinating. We'll, we'll get into that in a bit more detail a little bit later on. But at, but at some point you decided to move client side and you moved to fellows where you are now it's a 103 year old family owned business what what factors led to that decision yeah there was a big change so going from something mm-hmm. so fast moving mm-hmm. to a family business sure. you know if i think about my colleagues at search laboratory i think the average age was 26 maybe sure. people have they're around two two and a half three years and then would maybe move on like they're doing agencies sure. um, and then i went to a family business where Mainly the people I work with have at least been there 10 years, if not wow. 25, 30 years. Oh, wow. You know, they've had the whole thing there. Um, and I I think for me, it was just kind of time to do something different. Mm. I found myself at, at Search Labs being in a position where I was quite removed from the actual client work at the end. Mm-hmm. So I would manage the team that would then work with the clients. And I really missed it. Sure. Um, and I wanted to see that impact that you ha- your work has. Hmm. Um, and I just wanted to also have a different work environment. I wanted to have a, a different change of, of people that I can learn from. Mm-hmm. And I felt that fellows could be exactly the, the right step. But yeah, it was a big change um, to go to, to a business like that. Fantastic. So describe where fellows is today as a company and, and what's your role and responsibility there? So Fellows has actually been through so quite an exciting time, I feel, since I started. Um, we, we are a 103-year-old company, mm-hmm. and I feel like when we celebrated our 100 years, there was really time to make a few changes in the business as well. So we went through a rebrand. Um, we, we really are looking into how we can be around for the next 100 years. Mm-hmm. The office products industry is is changing you know the way we are working is changing so therefore the needs for the people in the workplaces are changing mm. um, and and we are really keen to adopt our our products and therefore create innovations that really help people be at their best at the workplace mm. um, and and I'm part of that and that's exciting so when I first started I was actually there digital marketing um, manager. So the first time they had someone dedicated within Europe uh, to look after digital. Um, And shortly after, I then had the opportunity to take on the whole marketing communication side of things. Um, So I now have a team of graphic designers, Mm -hmm. of web specialists, content and social media specialists. And together, really, we, we are building a core communication strategy and plan for Europe and we're working together with all of the different product category marketing teams um, so let that be our bankers box or our ergonomic accessories or our shredders and laminators 
Um, and then we also working with the local marketing teams, which is the part that I'm really passionate about as well is is working with people across across Europe, really, mm. and being in, in contact. Hmm. Quite, quite fascinating. So, so you you mentioned that you're working to make sure that Fellows is around for the next hundred years. Talk about mm-hmm. what some of the biggest work uh, sort of changes are in the modern workplace, and how is Fellows adapting to that? Yeah, I think you know, and, and definitely some of our core products. So, if I'm thinking about our bankers boxes and our shredders. Um, Paper is in decline in all of the businesses, huh. um, not only from a security, security perspective. So, you know, these products are still in need at this time and we're making constant, exciting innovations to them. But at the same time, we can't really bank on those products being what keeps our business alive. So mm. we really expanded over the last few years in our, how we call it, our expansive categories. So that, that is um, our health and well-being. Um, area so our ergonomic accessories um, furniture um, to really adapt to the new workplaces so if you think about it um, there's a lot more open plan offices there is um, people kind of working more remotely so how do we adapt to their work environment and what products will people need in order to stay healthy at work Hmm. really interesting you say that there are more and more sort of uh, open plan working environments and we're seeing that reflected in offices like WeWork and sort of, you know, these new sort of office buildings, uh, Apple, um, Google are famous for having these sort of uh, sort of open collaborative uh, environments where, where employees can sort of bump into each other and sort of spark collaboration. And I guess the idea behind it was that it would increase productivity um, because there's a free flow of ideas and exchange. However, a lot of research recently has actually said that um, it actually reduces productivity. And actually, the the old uh, the old traditional offices of having you know people in their siloed offices actually increases productivity because they're not as they're not uh, sort of being interrupted as much as much mm-hmm. throughout the day. What, what are your What are your thoughts on that? I think. I think it's a a kind of mixed approach Mm. to this. So I would say in certain areas, definitely it enhances the collaboration. You know, Um, if you are sat on a floor, you you kind of get up, you walk to your colleague, you talk about certain topics, you don't write them an email Mm -hmm. or just pick up the phone and call them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important, you know, not only from a social perspective and a better teamwork perspective, but also that you actually get up and get moving. Right. So I think that's that's important. Um, And I think from from kind of the noise level and disruption, I think it's very important that your offices have areas where if you have to work very concentrated, Hmm. you can kind of go there. So we, for example, at Fellows, we have um, meeting pods, we call them. It's like tiny little pods that are dotted around the office and you can go in there um, and they block out a lot of the noise. Um, and you can kind of get some quiet time there as well if you have to work very concentrated. So I think it's it's important you have both available. Hmm. Um, and I still believe open open plan offices are, are good for collaboration. Hmm. I see it every day how, how we work as a team. Um, and there's already the aspect of us being quite a lot on, on the phone with our European partners. If and I would have to do the same internally, I think I would literally just be sitting at my desk all day. Hmm. 
really interesting. Let, let's talk a little bit about that shift from um, in-house, uh, from agency to sort of in-house, because you've been responsible for sort of changing the way that marketing is done at, at Fellows. And in many ways, it's an industry, you're in an industry that's not really well, that's not known for its technological innovation. It's also a family-owned business. So the pace of change is different. How have you managed yeah. to sort of bring people along that journey? Yeah, I, I mean, you're completely right. It's a very, very different pace to an agency. And I don't mind it. I actually enjoy this because we we really thinking about the next step. You know, once it's a family business, whatever we do, it always has a family name on it. So I think we be really, really conscious of the way we're approaching new topics. Um, and I think... It was quite exciting. You know, there's always um, people who are really open to change. And then there's people everywhere in the business that maybe are a bit worried about change. I wouldn't even say they're against it. They're just worried. Sure. And it's about them on this journey mm. and really trying to help them um, and educate them about why this is important, why why we have to do certain digital activities. Sure. Because our end users, the way that they are shopping is changing sure. if we want it or not it's no longer just the catalog mm -hmm. you know they are they are looking for things online mm -hmm. they're comparing products mm -hmm. and we just have to make sure that at every kind of thinking point our fellows brand is there mm -hmm. so that when they're coming to the decision because ultimately they can't buy directly from us they're buying through our um, resellers we have to make sure that when they come to our resellers they have us already in mind mm -hmm. and um yeah, I think that's kind of the journey I'm trying to take our team on and trying to educate them on this hmm. because, um, yeah, it's definitely proven that nowadays you, you don't just open an advert in a magazine and you decide to buy this sure. product. You do a long journey. You do a lot of research. Uh, sure. Exactly. So, definitely. so that's what we're trying to do. Hmm. And it's obviously a challenge because you're trying to balance being respectful to the traditions and the history of the business while still driving innovation and moving moving with the times. I imagine that that's not a an easy thing to uh, to do. Um, you you say that your career has gone full circle from print to digital and digital back to print. Talk a little yes. bit about that. Yeah, it's it's so my first experience is kind of at work mm. um, before I had my full time job at at Search Laboratory. So my internships or work on the side was always in like event management um, agencies, as that was one area that I was really interested in, um, and kind of then I came to the digital world and and although at first when you finish university you have all of those big dreams of the massive brands you're going to be working with at first I thought oh okay well let's let's try out digital marketing I don't really know a lot about it and then uh, once I got stuck into it mm. I realized how much there is to it and I'm so so thankful that I took on that opportunity mm -hmm. because I think it's crucial for every marketeer nowadays that you have that as a baseline and really understand how digital marketing works. Mm. Um, and then when I came to fellows, of course, one element of my job is still the digital side of things. But um, I suddenly also, again, got introduced to uh, print and uh, working with the studio, getting things in catalogs and magazines. And there's this odd feeling of excitement when I see like a printed adverse somewhere. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's almost 
it's 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 a weird feeling yeah. but i really I, I really like both of the things you know almost digital seems normal now yeah you know whereas when you get somewhere print it's yeah. like wow <laughs> it's so <laughs> I, unusual I, I, keep, I keep all of the the articles it's quite funny sure. my um next to my window i've got like all of the magazines lined up um because i'm quite proud of it <laughs> really interesting no but it's it, you know it's it's true we don't see that much print we're not exposed to physical print as much as we were no. uh so it's quite it's quite novel and uh you know whenever we do see our work and our creativity in in our t in our hands it's tangible it's uh it's a different exactly. experience uh really interesting Let, let's talk a little bit about agencies so you work with creative agencies and you have some uh work uh in-house with some in-house teams as well um why is it important to you that you have both an in-house team and mm -hmm. external agencies as well i think um i personally think that you can't really do the job that much just if, if you only have an in-house team. I think working with an agency, what they bring to it is a completely fresh perspective, as well as they have a team that's kind of on the pulse of the trends that's that's uh, happening in mm -hmm. the in the industry, um, in in the digital industry in particular. Um, and I think that's important to keep on learning as well. I think when you are um, in-house, um, one of the big dangers is that you kind of just get absorbed and you get swallowed up by your company's book. Sure. You know? And I think it's it's seeing outside of that mm. that um, is important. And that's why I really like working with agencies. Um, and yeah, I, I just feel tapping into expertise from an agency is, is so much more helpful than trying to build everything in-house. Sure. You know, I want to understand what's happening and I think it's important that I know um, what the reports are saying. But at the same time, we can then focus on the bigger strategy and making sure that um, things get carried out by an agency. Mm. Fellows has a, a network of talented agencies. Talk a little bit about the skill sets uh, of your agencies and why did you de decide to have a network of specialists rather than one full service agency? Yeah, I think every, every marketeer's dream is to find that one agency <laughs> that can take all Do the it boxes. all, right. Exactly, yeah. because I mean, I'm not going to lie, having a, a network is obviously more work for me, sure. whereas if I would have one contact, that would be ideal. Sure. But um, again, I just don't think that that's a realistic expectation. Normally, when you're meeting those fully integrated agencies, they have started somewhere. Mm. So either they've started on the offline, more PR right. side, and then moved into the digital world, mm -hmm. or vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and... I prefer to pick their sweet spots out, if that makes mm. sense. So I really want to make sure that if an agency has their roots in creative, right. I know they will be great and creative. So sure. let's use them for that. And then the same for for digital. Um, and I then try and, and organize that if there's something integrated happening, that we can tap into those, um, those agencies of our network as well. Um, so I, I personally feel that that's the better better approach. Hmm. In in the pre-interview, you said that you love the process of choosing an agency. Love is a very strong word, Julia. Um, what <laughs> what what is it about the process of choosing an agency that you love, and what is your process? Um, I think I love. I, I think I genuinely love working with agencies because that's been part of 
my working life. Mm. Um, so I like getting new partners in, seeing new ideas. I think it's always super creative sessions. Um, and it, it's exciting to find a new partner that you know you will be able to trust for the next few years or months, depending on what we kind of hire them for. Mm. Um, and in terms of the process, I think it really depends on what it is that we're looking for. So let it be like one big campaign that we're feeling um, is is something, yeah, that, that, that we need a partner for um, for the short term. And then potentially, depending on how that campaign pans out, we might take them on for longer. Mm. Um, the process we go through is normally that um, I do a little bit of a pre-search um, and shortlist a few agencies, get in touch with them. We, we have very comprehensive um, briefs for agencies. Um, some might feel yeah. sometimes overwhelmed by them. I'm sure they love but that. But I think it's important. Yeah. yeah, actually, the feedback was really positive huh. this time around. Okay. They, they were really, you know, that was really helpful. But I want them to get as much information as possible. Mm -hmm. um, then we normally do, like, some initial calls, really find out, okay, is this project um, right for, for you? Do you want to participate? And then we invite them to, to come to our offices and to pitch to kind of a panel um, normally, let's say it's for one of our product categories. There will be someone from the product ca category. It will be myself. It will be probably the designer that normally is part of that product category um, and our marketing director. Um, and we let them present to us what they think they can bring to fellows. And I always feel, you know, it's normally three days back to back meetings. Mm. But it's so it's so inspiring mm. and it's so exciting when you, you feel afterwards, yes, you found the right partner. Okay. Interesting. Do you know usually quite quickly that you found the right partner? Um, is it quite an intuitive sort of decision when you have those meetings in, initially or does it take some time to sort of firm up your decision? I think it, it really depends on how well these pre-conversations have gone and how well they really understand mm. us. So sometimes we meet agencies where we see a lot of potential um, but they maybe haven't really wrapped their head around how we work yet. So we try and maybe give them a bit of a further direction into this, and this, therefore it might be a bit of a longer process. Hmm. If, we, if they manage to grasp who we are as fellows, what is possible and what isn't possible fairly quickly, um, yeah, I think, I think we, we normally try and um, make our minds up fairly, fairly soon. There's a, there are a few key areas that we're looking for. Of course, that's great ideas you know that's how the agency is working we're very open-minded what type of agency it is so is it a small agency that's mainly focused on the uk and we then need to find a way on how we use them so that we can implement it across europe mm -hmm. that could be an option or is it a big international company what do their partners in the european countries look like so we're fairly open um, towards them so you get such different approaches mm. um, and at the end it's, it's the creative idea it's how they come across mm. and um, how they're working you know we we don't have maybe the big budgets for some of those bigger agencies mm -hmm. um, for us they're huge budgets <laughs> 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 sure. and and I really I don't want to see lots and lots of layers of account management, account directors and all of that in there, because mm. that means my money is basically sure. gone before we started sure. doing something. Mm. 
So full transparency, how people work, how the teams are set up, that's a crucial decision maker for us. Hmm. What, what would disqualify an agency from consideration? I think it would be if they have absolutely no understanding on how ideas would work internationally hmm. for me. That would be one big area where I say that wouldn't work. Because even though you are UK focused, if you have that understanding um, of how these ideas need to be translated into the other and localized into the other markets, then that's fine. You don't have to have the, the full experience already. It's doing the right research. It's making sure you, you check in maybe with some of your connections that are international mm. to identify how you could service that. So, so when it comes down to the last two or three agencies, and it's all very close in terms of creativity and capability and skill set and price, what does the final decision tend to come down to? I would say probably what I mentioned earlier is the transparency. Um, how is this working relationship going to be set up? Um, what access are we going to have to the tools that they're going to be using? How open are they going to be with everything? If we feel we are like partners on the same eyesight, um, I think that's what we're looking for. Ultimately, um, although that might sound cheesy, but it's, you know, we, we're inviting them into the fellows family and that's how we want to treat it. You know, it's mm. honesty, transparency um, and making sure that they have our best interest in mind. Mm. So so if an agency wanted to sort of get on your radar and sort of get an opportunity with you, they've, you know, they, they understand your market, they know that they've got the skill sets and the talents internally to sort of make a difference to your business, what's the best way of them reaching out to you? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say that pick up the phone would be my preferred option of okay. contact in the first place. You're going to get a lot you of know, people I calling you now. <laughs> yeah but i get so many emails mm. as well mm. um and and they're not very personalized you know really look into what we do mm. show me at the first conversation that you know who we are don't don't make it like one of your 100 calls sure. i know that obviously there will be others you will be calling but um i think i want to i want to feel like they've genuinely made an effort um, of understanding where we are at. Hmm. That's that's really important for me. Really interesting. So w when it comes to working with agencies, what, what do clients need to know about their agency in order to get the best work from them? I would say in terms of not knowing how they work, mm -hmm. so what's the team set up, who's, who's kind of the main spokesperson, so to say, sure. for your campaign. And then how many layers are there until there's a person actually working on your account, mm. right? I think that's really important. Can you have conversations with those expert people? You know, I, I think that's something I personally really like, but that's probably because I have the knowledge. Let's say it's digital. Um, I have the knowledge in those areas. So I want to speak to the PPC person. I don't only want to speak to the account manager. I want to know from them what they're thinking, how they think they can improve it. Um, so I think that that's important. I think it's important to understand how your budget is used mm -hmm. and have full transparency of that. Mm -hmm. So agencies that work with us, um, they know that we're very specific with this. <laughs> and I always want to see a breakdown. I want to see what's your agency fee. Are you billing us hourly, daily? How are you doing it? Mm. Um, and 
what is actually going to be spent on creating the activity. Um, so that if, let's say, we come into a scenario where, I don't know, we need to prolong the, the campaign, but we don't have more budget, what can we cut out and together come up with a solution? Um, so for me, it, it's that area. And it's also insight into um, all of the accounts. So let's say, again, from a digital perspective, um, any agency that works with us, we own the accounts. We own the Google account. We own the Facebook business accounts. Sure. So we can see what you guys are doing sure. and want to have an honest conversation about it. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Now, as much as agencies would like to hold on to their clients forever, the reality is that mm -hmm. clients replace agencies with increasing regularity. What are some of the most common reasons that clients tend to leave agencies and what can agencies do to avoid it? I would say, from my experience, why we maybe left agencies, it was when teams kept on moving around a lot mm -hmm. and you kind of start at square one every few months. Sure. Uh, I think that's, if, if you have a big turnaround in your team, I think it's the agency's job to make sure that handovers are um, of high quality and that when they come to your account, you hardly feel the transition, if that makes sense. I see. Uh, so I think that's one of the big areas. Um, and another area was we really preferred in the past working with kind of the smaller agencies because mm -hmm. you get a lot more attention from them. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I feel like sometimes when then these agencies have been bought up by bigger agencies is when suddenly their processes and the way they communicate and the type of contact you have with them changed. And that was another reason for us to, to move on from um, past agencies. Really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about performance reviews before we talk about uh, your, your work colleague of the future report, which I'm really interested okay. to sort of get into. Um, but we know that it's important to conduct effective performance reviews. So both client and agency uh, sort of provide feedback to know what's working and we can both improve the relationship. How should we conduct effective performance performance reviews and and what's the best way that you've seen them done yeah i think we definitely have room for improvement for ours okay right <laughs> okay. Sure. um i think um, we normally depending really on which agency again um let's say it's someone um that we're doing a quite big long-term campaign over a few years with we normally try and at least get together face to face um, on a on a quarterly basis that doesn't sound like a lot but if you have weekly calls I think that's fine um, <laughs> and and really be open about what has worked and what hasn't worked you know this is this is from both sides we know that um, nothing's also perfect on our side mm -hmm. and we can always improve on how we're working with agencies mm -hmm. um, and I think it, it's very important that both sides can voice how things can be improved and that we learn from it. Mm. Um, so I, I think from a from a long-term partnership, that's one of the things that that are really important for me to look at. Um, it's also how how they would approach and be proactive in terms of suggesting new ideas and how we can keep on working sure. together. That that's important to me in those in those meetings. Mm. So for them to be proactive and, and suggesting new ideas is really something that that we like. 
Fantastic. Let's talk about your work colleague of the future campaign. The the campaign yeah. showed how years of unhealthy workspaces affected employees. There was a team of researchers led by the behavioral futurist William Higman, who showed us um, how we could become if we don't do something to fix our sort of broken work environment they made a figure called emma she doesn't look good to be honest i had a couple no. of girlfriends that also looked the same to be honest um but the uh the campaign got truly global coverage on social media mainstream media publications like the financial times huffington post itv i think it was 66 countries in in total that it got uh coverage in just just phenomenal success why do you think the campaign was so successful I think, you know, the idea itself on how we're going to be changing in the future, that's not a new idea, mm. right? Um, there have been campaigns like this before. I think the the really big difference this time was actually Emma and having her huh. as a life-sized model there and having worked with the, the futurist as well as the the pan-European panel of experts across osteopathy, ergonomics, you know, it was really important for us to re to understand um, what is going to happen to our bodies hmm. and how we can then exaggerate that in a, a figure such as Emma sure. to, to help people educate how important it is that you change the way you're working. Because this is these are real issues, you know. Is it slightly exaggerated? Of course it mm -hmm. is. But it is all totally possible. Mm. Um, and, and I think Emma was the, the main reason why it was so successful. She looks just so real. She does. Um, when you meet her. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, is, it is quite scary. Mm. Um, and it was super exciting to see her. Like from, we were part of this whole journey from her being like a drawing to being oh, like wow. a Barbie-sized doll to then being that full-sized model. Oh, wow. Um, mm. And yeah, it's it's... I think that is what gave it the big impact mm. and what people, um, why people were shocked and why they could relate to it. If you don't have the right visuals and if you can't really relate to it, I think it's not going to resonate with you. Mm. In Britain, we spend eight years of our lives sitting down. That just seems like a really long time to be sitting. Um, is this is the solution to our sedentary lifestyles as easy as just having a standing desk? No, I wouldn't say so. You know, that's one of the areas that can definitely help you. Um, you know, there's there's so many other things that you can do. And it's not just having a standing desk. It's about being in movement in general. Mm. So I would say the very first thing that really um, you you should make sure you get is a workstation risk assessment, no matter where you work. Huh. You know, there's a law across Europe. Um, and when we've done the work colleague of the future campaign, we also did a survey and the numbers were shocking of people who said they had their workstation risk assessment done, but never saw any products to improve their workstation oh. or they haven't even had the workstation risk assessment. And I don't think a lot of employees are aware of this. So I think, you know, one of the big first things in advice is make sure you get your workstation risk assessment. Your mm. needs will be different to the ones next to the ones to the person next to you um and i think the sit stance desk is a great way of staying in movement throughout the whole day and this is what it's about it's not about just standing suddenly instead of sitting because mm -hmm. that will be harmful <laughs> in the movement it's, mm. it's making sure that every half an hour you you try and stand up mm. it's it could be things like going for a walk around um 
around your office at lunchtime, mm. um, have walking meetings, mm-hmm. um, try and do exercise when you can. You know, a lot of people are commuting long ways and, and they come home and they're probably quite tired at night and don't really want to be doing anything. But um, it, it kind of plays into your whole life mm. where you have to make changes. Mm. Um, but at work itself, it's just making sure you have the right setup. You have the right chair, you have the right desk, sure. you have the right monitor heights, you have a wrist mat, mouse mat, anything you need to get you as comfortable as possible whilst you're sitting. Sure, makes a lot of sense. And I guess open plan offices play into that because you physically have to get up and walk across the room to go and speak to anyone else, uh, which, you know, which was your point. Walking meetings as well, which was made popular by Steve Jobs and, and Mark Zuckerberg. They, you know, they love to do, do walking meetings, but also because of the creativity, apparently, that it sparks when you walk, apparently, yeah. you're more creative. There are more endorphins that are released. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. What were your, what was surprising? Uh, what were some of the surprising takeaways from the, from the report that surprised you that you weren't necessarily expecting? Um, I think in general, the when we did the research and we found out about um, how many people are actually suffering from injuries um, mm. due to being at a desk all day, I wow. thought that was quite shocking. Um, and injuries? Yeah, injuries in, in such as uh, having problems with their wrists okay. or with their hands sure. or uh, with their back. You, know, you, you will know so many people that just have back issues, sure. neck issues, just from being at work all day. Um, And I think this is where it starts often. You know, you have a bit of a sore neck or a bit of back problem Mm. um, and that can escalate really quickly. Hmm. And this is actually when it's already a little bit too late. You know, you want to avoid getting to that stage in the first place. I thought that was one of the areas. Mm. Um, And then I think if I'm thinking about Emma in general um, and we we were talking about the different ailments that she's got, um, one of the ones that I personally... um, was quite shocked about is also the the skin tone as well as mm. the skin issues um, and the the um, nasal hairs and ear hairs that mm. will be um, so much more in the future, which is all down to the lighting in offices, interesting the artificial lighting as well as the air pollution in offices. Um, so again, I think that's things that we we are ev- not even aware of. I mean, I've never really worried about the light in my office before. Mm. Um, yeah, wouldn't even have thought a... that that was a consideration. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think, okay, in terms of air, yes, we are maybe a little bit at fellows more um, aware of that, given that we have air purification units all around our office that we sell as well. Um, but at the same time, that's just an area that I think has so much potential um, and that people aren't really thinking about. Hmm. What 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 have you taken away from the success of the campaign that you'll use that you'll take forward in other campaigns? I think the biggest takeaway is, you know, this was a viral campaign. It doesn't automatically mean everything we do now is going to have. <laughs> right, same. we need to be bigger. We need more stats. I know. I know. <laughs> right, it's like kind it'll of be the, a letdown. The downside of having <laughs> such, such a successful campaign. Sure, sure. Uh, so that's definitely one of the things right. that I'm preaching now, and I'm like, you know, yes, this has been amazing, and let's build on it. Um, I think because she went so viral across the world, we just didn't expect that to happen. Mm. Um, And I think if we would have known the impact she could have had, we probably would have made sure that there's um, 
activities happening also further down the sales funnel. So if you're thinking, Emma, is all about raising the awareness. We should have probably worked a lot more with our resellers, making sure that when the awareness is there, people will probably be interested in in getting some offers and in 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 really making sure they they know what to do next in order to not end up like Emma. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that would be one area um, that we learn from. And it's one thing that I'm carrying over to other campaigns is really making sure. Whatever we create, even if it's thought leadership, we need to make sure we have our reseller partners on board um, and we're thinking the, the campaign through from top to bottom of the funnel. Really interesting. Julia, let's let's get into our quick fire round. This is the round where okay. I fire some short, sharp questions at you. And if you can fire some answers back at me, that will be fantastic. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges or changes, sorry, that you've seen in terms of what clients now expect from their agencies and what agencies expect from their client? I would say what clients expect from their agencies is really um, hands-on work and less account management, I would say, is one of the big changes. So away from the big integrated um, agencies to more of a specialized agency Hmm. is is my, my thinking. And then vice versa, um, I would say that from experience, the, the agencies we've been working with lately, they really were interested in more learning more about the business. So they were really curious and are, are desperate to know what impact they, their, their campaign had. Although obviously we don't sell direct, they want to understand this. Um, and that's a trend that I've been seeing over the last few years, hmm. um, which is something I really like. What are you most optimistic about when it comes to... Uh, working with agencies and what are you least optimistic about? Ooh, I'm most optimistic about bringing fresh ideas and new perspectives mm. um, and challenging us. Um, least optimistic working with agencies is probably the ri- the rising agency fees. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good answer. Uh, really interesting. Um, at low times in your in your own career, when you hit those low points, how do you motivate yourself in those times? I think it's important that you have um, a great network at work, but also a great network at home, and just making sure you know that you you balance balance out um, busy periods mm-hmm. with something nice at home, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I, I really am into things like yoga, meditation, things like this to mm-hmm. really to really get me back on track. Um, but I think everyone needs to find their own their own thing. Really, really good, really good answer. And, and my final question, Julia, I know that you're from Germany originally and, you, and you're living in the UK. If you could live anywhere in the world, though, where would it be and why? <laughs> That's really interesting. Mm. Um, my dream was and i don't know why why i ended up in leeds but my dream was to live in barcelona um Hmm. i had an internship there a long time ago and i think that's just the city of the the most beautiful city city. i've ever been in (laughs) fantastic culture architecture that's kind of all of my passions together and sunshine and sunshine right you can't go right (laughs) and a beach so right happy days yeah. <laughs> yeah. fantastic julia thank you so much for for doing this 
Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear on the show, please email millie at fox.agency. The people that make this show possible are Millie Bell, our booker slash researcher, Paul Blanford, our creative director, Ben Fox is the executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.